scriptures that way. Pray for them. The rest of us will be in Luke chapter number 7. So if you would, find your place in Luke chapter 7. Uh, for those who are guests, uh, or just to remind you, the way what we do at Valley Avenue Baptist Church is we preach exposition, expositorily. And so what we do is we preach through books on Sunday mornings. If you would want to stand, that'd be fine as you find your place. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we're preaching through the book of Luke for the most part, unless God just leads otherwise. On Sunday nights, totally different service. We preach through Joshua. And on Wednesday nights, um, here in a couple weeks, we'll be starting the book of Revelation. And I'm looking forward to that. These next two Wednesdays, Brother Mike and Brother Tim will be preaching. I'll be preaching in Arizona for Pastor Moore and for my home church. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I'm thankful for the Word of God. I'm thankful uh, for, for the way that we do it. I don't have to come up with what to say. I just go to the next passage, right? And where we are, that's what God has for us. And I'm confident that God has for us something this morning. And so we're going to start today in verse number 24 of Luke chapter 7. At this point is right after John the Baptist sent to find out if Jesus really was the Messiah or not. And Jesus went ahead and, and performed miracles and healings and, and cast out demons, sent John's uh, disciples back to him to confirm that, yes, indeed, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior, the Messiah himself. And then, as he sends the messengers away, he turns to the people in verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed... He, Jesus, began to speak unto the people concerning John. He says this, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? And what, what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea. I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he, John the Baptist, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him, that being John, and the publicans, justified God because being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like the children, sitting in the marketplace, and calling one to another, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. So the title of the message this morning is this. It's not about the man. It's about the message. About the message. Let's pray and we'll get right into it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of John the Baptist and how you used him in such an amazing way. But, Lord, thank you even more for the message that you gave to him to bring to us. Thank you, God, for coming to this earth and for becoming a man and dying for our sins. And, God, I pray that you would help us to understand the message that you've called us to this morning. Help me to declare it and help us to have hearts that are open and relented. Christ and I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. <clears throat> 
So John the Baptist was a great man. In fact, we'll learn today that Jesus said he was the greatest man ever to be born of women. And so uh, John Baptist was, was a blessing, and God used him in a mighty way. We said last time that the first we hear about John the Baptist is in the very first chapter of Luke, right off the beginning as Luke is starting the story of Christ. The story of Christ really begins with the story of John the Baptist. We actually hear about John the Baptist before we even hear about the birth of Christ and that story there. Because John the Baptist, he was miraculously born late in life. Uh, not, he wasn't born late in life, but he was born late in his father's life, in Zacharias's life. Uh, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were, were old, and we said last time that, that Luke was a very smart man, and he said that Zacharias was old and that Elizabeth, Elizabeth was well stricken in years. He was a gentleman, wise man. Uh, probably had a great marriage. You never call a lady old, but he said Zacharias was old. Elizabeth was well stricken in years. And so what that means is, physically speaking, biologically speaking, they were uh, they were older than what is uh, uh, able to have children. They were past childbearing age. And more than that, even when they were young enough to have children, they were barren, the Bible says. that Zacharias and Elizabeth never had any children, and it really was a a burden on them. They they had a desire for children, but they were just trusting God and serving God. Zacharias being a priest, serving in the temple. But but uh, late in Zacharias's life, the angel Gabriel comes to him, and he says, "Zacharias, you will have a child, and his name shall be John, and he will be the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the one that'll come to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming, and Zacharias, your child." will be the one preparing the way for the Messiah. Now, Zacharias laughed at that. He didn't, he didn't believe the angel, and a whole thing happened because of that. Uh, but that's not really the point of our message today. But, but Zacharias was born, just as, as God said. Elizabeth was, had conceived a child in a late age. They had uh, John, and he was born. And really, the very next thing we hear about John is that he began his public ministry in the wilderness. Now, don't lose your place in Luke 7. We'll come right back to it. But go to Luke chapter 3, if you would. Luke chapter 3. We hear about John being born right after John is born. We hear about, the, about Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus being born. And, you know, the Christmas story we'll be talking about here soon. And right after that, uh, we, we get here and Jesus has a young man and all of that. We come to Luke chapter 3, and it says this, Now in the fifteenth year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Tychonius and Lysanias, and the tetrarch of Abilene. Verse 2, Annas and Sophias, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So we fast forwarded now, and John is in his late 20s, probably, maybe early 30s, or, or, or at 30, potentially, and he's come, and he has begun his public ministry right there in the wilderness. And, and Matthew 3, verse 4 says this, uh, and it was written in the book of the word of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, we'll go back to verse 3. And he came into all the country of Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And so uh, kind of seemingly out of nowhere, we have this man in the wilderness, 
And for about 400 years since Malachi, there has been no word from God. God has been silent. He, since Malachi being the last prophet of the Old Testament, if you know your Bible well, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And since the days of Malachi, it has been 400 years, and God has been silent. There has been no prophets that God has spoke through. There have been there has been no scripture written down. They have they have not heard from God for 400 years. And now, seemingly out of nowhere, God sends this prophet, uh, uh, John the Baptist. Now, if you Look in Matthew 3, 4. If you want to turn there, you can. Just one verse. Matthew says this about John the Baptist. And it's really covering this same account. Matthew says this. And, the name, and that same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And so there's this crazy guy, seeming like, living in the wilderness, living by himself, he, he's clothed in camel's hair and, and this thick, you know, nasty hair. And he has, and for his meat, he's eating locusts and he's eating honey. And this is John the Baptist in the wilderness. They may, they may have known about him, but he might have just been the crazy guy in the wilderness, John the Baptist, right? But now, seemingly, again, out of nowhere comes this voice. And this voice is from God. It's obvious that God's hand is upon him. And it's like John is in the wilderness calling out to Israel saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and, and the people knew it. They knew that this man was a man sent from God. Now, now back to Luke 3, in verse 5, it says this. His message, uh, John says, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so the message of John the Baptist right here, this is before Jesus has come on the scene. Remember, he's preparing the way for the Messiah. His message is this, the Messiah is going to come, and when he comes, he's going to eventually judge the earth. He's going to set everything straight. And so Israel, you need to repent before he comes, before he judges the earth. And in verse 7, we find that a multitude did come. Verse 7 says, and then said he to the multitude. That's hundreds if not thousands of people have come out to the wilderness to hear this man, John, to hear this prophet of God. And they've come out and they were baptized. Look at it says, and he, and he said to the multitude, I'm sorry, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. And so he's crying out, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and multitudes came out to hear his message. And multitudes heard his message. And what did they do? Well, they got baptized. Well, pause. Before they got baptized, here's what they did. They repented. Right? That's how it works. <clears throat> this is the message of the Bible, that God says, repent, because we're all sinners. God says, hey, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God says that we are, we are uh, in need of our sins to be forgiven. If we're honest with ourselves, what we all deserve and what Israel deserved way back there in the first century, they all deserved the judgment and the wrath of God. That's what John was saying. God is going to come. He's going to judge this earth. And we, you deserve God's judgment, and I deserve God's judgment. We're all sinners, aren't we? All of us have sinned along the way. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, And the wages of sin is death. Well, what's the wages? Well, wages is, is what you get for what you've done. What you deserve for what you've done at work, 
you get wages for the work you've done, hopefully. And so you work, and you work all week, and then at the end of that week, you get wages, because you deserve it. You've earned it. You deserve it. Well, our sin, because of our sin, because we've all uh, sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, John, I'm sorry, Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of our sin is death. It's the judgment of God. And one day, God is going to come, and he's going to judge the earth. But more than that, he's going to judge each soul, right? Every man shall stand before God. Every man shall give an account to God. And we will be judged out of the books. That's what Revelation 20 says. That we'll be judged out of the books. What's that? Well, that's the word of God. And we might be, a good, we might be good people if we compare ourselves to others. But as we compare ourselves to God, and as we compare ourselves to what it takes to really, truly enter heaven, the Bible says that all of us fall short of that. The Bible says that none of us are good enough. None of us deserve heaven. In fact, all of us deserve God's judgment in hell forever. Hell's a real place. And we all deserve it. I deserve it. You deserve it. The best person you know deserves it. Why? Well, not because they're worse than other people. They might be good in comparison to others, but they are not good in comparison to God. The Bible says there is none good. No, not one. There is none that has kept every commandment in the Word of God. There is none that is without sin. We all deserve the judgment of God. And so what do we do? Well, I think we just all go home and we're sad and defeated. No, that's not it. That's why God promised to send the Messiah from the beginning. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? In in Genesis chapter 3, before God even deals punishment to Adam and Eve for that, God promises to send the seed of the woman. And what was the seed of the woman going to do? He was going to come and bruise the head of Satan. He was going to crush Satan's skull. What does that mean? He's going to defeat sin. He's going to come and provide a way for man to be made right with God because sin has separated man from God. And God promised he would send the Messiah who would come and bruise the head of Satan and make a way that man and God could be made right together again. And then throughout the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, all throughout the Bible, they, the, the prophets pointed to the fact that one day the Messiah will come. One day he will come to judge this world, yes, but also to offer a way for man to be made right with God. And the Old Testament pointed to the fact that one day the Messiah will come. And so to, in the Old Testament, if you placed your faith in that, then your sins would be forgiven. That's what the Bible says about Abraham, that he had faith, and, and that faith was counted to him for righteousness. Faith in what? Faith in this, that Abraham knew he was a sinner. Abraham knew he deserved the judgment of God, just like all of us do. But Abraham also had faith that one day the Messiah would come, and he would take away the sins of the world. And so the, the God promised that would happen from the beginning of time, And he promised he would send a Savior. But in order for that Savior to be able to take our sins, we have to do what John called for us to do. Repent. Repent. But what does repent mean? It's not just I'm sorry. Repent literally means to change your mind. To change your mind. To agree with God about it. To repent means this. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. God, I acknowledge I deserve your wrath. I know who I am. God, you know who I am, and I know I deserve your wrath. And I've been living for myself, and I've not been living for you. 
And God, I, I repent of my sin. And God, I acknowledge that, that you are, have sent your son to die for my sin. And God, based upon what Jesus did on the cross, God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. That's what it means to repent. Now, in John's day, he was calling Israel to repent. And he was calling them to repent of their way and believe that the Messiah was coming. Right? Because at this point, Jesus hadn't started his public ministry. Jesus had not died on the cross yet. He had not paid for the sins of man. But John was calling to Israel to repent of their sin and place their faith in the Messiah who was going to come. Well, today, we repent of our sin, and we have faith that the Messiah did come, right? The Old Testament looks toward the cross, looks toward the Messiah who's come to take away the sins of the world. The New Testament points back to the cross, and we have faith that he did pay for the sins of the world, okay? So this is what John was doing. He was calling Israel to repentance. And then he says this in verse 8. Of, of Luke 3. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So what's the deal with that? Well, here's the problem with Israel in the first century, is that they really believed that because they were Jews, because they, they had Abraham to their father because they were of the nation of Israel that they were okay with God. They believed that because they were born into a Jewish family and because they went to synagogue every Saturday and because they learned the Torah and learned the Old Testament as a child, they believed that because of all these things that they were right with God. And, and John says, no, don't tell me that you're, you're uh, Abraham's son. God could have rose rocks from the, from what does he say? God could have raised uh, stones uh, unto Abraham. No, it doesn't mean anything that you're the son of Abraham. You need to repent of your sin, just like everyone needs to repent of their sin. And I'll tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if someone poured water on you as a baby. It doesn't matter if you sat in Sunday school all your life. You must repent for your sins to be forgiven. It's always been the truth. It's always been the case, even back in the Old Testament. And so John is calling for them to repent, to repent. Matthew said this, then went out to him, in Matthew 3, 5, and 6, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Matthew says that people came from all over Israel. They came from all over every region of Israel to come hear John. And many of them received the message of John and they repented of their sin. And then after they repented of their sin, after their sins were forgiven, John would baptize them. And they would identify themselves with that message. Okay, So many of them did that. But in verse 7 of Matthew 3, it says this, but when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he says this, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, that's not very nice, John. What's your deal? Well, here's, here's what was going on. is The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they accepted John. 
They, they recognized who John was. They heard about this man, this prophet of God, uh, preaching in the wilderness. They heard that God had now, after 400 years, chosen another prophet, and he was declaring the word of God. And they came out, and they're the Pharisees, they're the Sadducees, right? They're the, the, the Jewish of all Jews, right? And they're like, well, if God's working out here, we need to make sure we go out there and identify with him. And so they say, they come out to the wilderness and they say, John, we want to be baptized too. And John says, no, you can't be baptized. Well, why not? Because you refuse to repent, what John said. You're a generation of vipers. And he says, bring fruit, meat of repentance. John says this, no, listen, identifying with the message, being baptized is not enough for your sins to be forgiven. In fact, you can't even be baptized, John says, until you first repent. But the Pharisees weren't interested in that. The Pharisees thought they were already good with God. The Pharisees thought they were better than, than the rest of the Jews. They were definitely better than the Gentiles. The Pharisees thought they had a special relationship with God, and they felt like they did not need to repent, and they hated that message. They hated that message, and they refused to repent and from that point on, they were not a fan of John. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, John didn't really care if they accepted him. John really wasn't interested in them identifying with him. That's what they wanted. They knew he was a prophet of God. They wanted to be identified with him. But John was interested in them identifying with the message that God has given him, which is this, repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But they weren't, they weren't willing to do that, and they rejected the message, and eventually they rejected the man. All of this, why do you go through all this? This is nowhere near our passage. Well, it kind of is, because this is what Jesus was talking about here in our passage. You go back to Luke chapter 7, here's what Jesus said. In verse 24, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. And he says, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see a reed shaken in the wind? But what went out ye to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live, in del live delicately are in the king's courts. But what went out ye for to see a prophet? Yea, I say to you, much more than a prophet. Jesus said, listen, Israel, you heard about this man, John, and he was out there preaching in the wilderness, and you didn't go out to the wilderness to, for the landscape, that's what he means. You didn't come out, what, what, did you go out to the wilderness to see the reeds shaking in the wind? No, that wasn't very impressive. That's not why you went out there. The wilderness is ugly. No one goes out to the wilderness. You don't go out there to see the landscape. You don't go out to the wilderness to find someone dressed in fine clothes. No, if you wanted that, you could go to the king's palace to see people dressed in nice clothes and to see something appealing to the eye. Here's why you went out to the wilderness, Jesus says. You all went out to the wilderness to see a prophet of God. You all went out to the wilderness to hear a man proclaiming the word of God. <clears throat> and that's why they went out there. That's why they, they trudged out into the wilderness and, and, and hiked, in a sense, and went through all the bushes and all the all the all the the rocky landscape and there was it was a nasty wilderness it, it wasn't pretty it wasn't a good hike but they wanted to hear the man of god deliver the word of god and so they came out to hear the prophet and it seemed like everybody in israel accepted john remember we read it in matthew they came out from all over israel to hear him preach 
Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to hear John preaching. They, they all recognized the hand of God, God on John the Baptist. They all recognized that he was preaching the very words of God. And they were interested in hearing John's preaching in the wilderness. And they were willing to hike out there to hear him. And they weren't out there for the view. They were out there to hear a prophet. And Jesus said, that's right, you did go out there to hear a prophet. But John was even more than a prophet, it says in, in uh, verse number uh, 26. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. See, John wasn't just any old prophet. Verse 27 says, This is he of whom it is written in the Old Testament, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Jesus says, John wasn't just any prophet. Yeah, you haven't had a prophet in 400 years, and, and you were excited to hear from God. But John wasn't just any prophet. He was the prophet that was testified and prophesied in the Old Testament. He was the one that was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was the prophet, the last of the prophets. He was the greatest prophet. Jesus said in verse 28, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Well, what does he mean by that? How is, how is John the Baptist the greatest of all prophets? Well, here's the deal. is All the prophets, remember we told you in the Old Testament, what they were prophesying, the message of the Old Testament is, one day the Messiah will come. Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we deserve the wrath of God. And yeah, God's going to judge the earth one day. But one day the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to make a way for, for man and God to be united again. That was the message of the Old Testament. And they were all, all uh, looking forward to that day. And they were pointing to that day. Well, John is the prophet who had, who had the opportunity to physically point him out. Remember what he said as he was preaching? And he was preaching about the judgment of God, preaching about the coming Messiah, preparing the way Jesus walks down to the Jordan. And what does John say? He points at Jesus and he says, Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John was the one that physically pointed to him and said, There he is, he's the Messiah. And then John is the one that was able to physically baptize Christ and launch Jesus' public ministry. And the Messiah had come. And John was the one that was able to, to, to bridge. He was the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come. The New Testament pointing back and, and saying the Messiah did come. And here's John the Baptist in the middle saying, here he is. And, and literally, John is the one who ushered in the New Testament and pointed to the Messiah and, 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 and pointed him out to the world. It's a blessing. It's awesome. And he, and he was a bold man. He was a preacher of righteousness. And there's a lot that can be said about John. But honestly, a lot, everything that's positive that, that is about John, his message, his boldness, his, um, his, even his weird things like the eating of locusts and honey, those can be said about a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament, and you read about Elijah and some of the weird stuff he did, and Elisha and Ezekiel, and, and there, are some, there are some crazy things, and there are some bold preachers, and there are some men of God, but, but John really was the greatest of the prophets because he was the one that pointed out the Messiah 
he was that man. He was a great prophet. And Jesus is acknowledging all of this. But then Jesus says something very interesting at the end of verse 28. He says, There's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he spent all this time building up John the Baptist. Of all the men born of women, he's the greatest of all the prophets. And he's building John up and, and really making a big deal out of John. But then Jesus says this, but here's what I want you to understand, that he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Now how is that? Well, because here's what Jesus is saying. It's... I'm glad that you liked the prophet. I'm glad that you heard the preaching of the prophet. I'm glad that you listened to him and you went out to the wilderness and you heard him. And he was a great prophet. But more important than John's position as a prophet of, of the message, more important than John's role in delivering the message, is actually accepting the message. Why? Because when you accepted the message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you, when you humbled yourself before God, and when you acknowledged your sin before Him, and you begged God to forgive you because of what the Messiah had done, here's what happened then. You became a citizen of the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Well, there's a lot that goes into that, but it's the place where the king rules. It's the, it's the, it's the, uh, the arena where the king is lord. And that, and, and in the end, it's in a nutshell, the kingdom is, is being saved. The kingdom eventually turns into the kingdom in heaven, right? And the kingdom eventually becomes the kingdom on earth, a thousand year reign. And eventually the kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm glad that you accepted the messenger. I'm glad that you like John. But more important than accepting John is accepting the message that John had, which is this. Repent. 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 Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. <clears throat> as important a role as John played in ushering in the kingdom, making sure that you're part of the kingdom is much more important than that. Jesus said that being able to see John's ministry, and, and these people were excited because they got to see John preach this way, and they got to watch him in the wilderness. Jesus said, you being able to witness what John did doesn't mean anything if you haven't actually accepted his message. You haven't actually accepted his message to repent. Look at verse 29. And all the people that had heard him and the publicans justified God. What does that mean? All those who heard John's message and, and whenever they, they were interested and they heard about this man in the, in the wilderness, they heard about this man that God was using, they went out to the wilderness, they heard John's message, and then they accepted John's message and they repented, and the Bible says there are many that John baptized. And each one of those that John ba baptized represented somebody who accepted the message and repented. Well, how do you know that? Well, because there were some who came to be baptized that John said no, because they would not repent. You see? They would not repent. And so those who accepted the message of John and were baptized of him, it says they justified God. They agreed with God. They declared God right, and they were right with God too. You see, but then there were also, verse 29 at the end, or verse 30, 
But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So there were some that accepted John, but then rejected his message. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how much you accept John if you reject his message, because what matters is the message that John had, which is this, repent, 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 for the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, accepting the message is more important than accepting the man. We just had a great revival, didn't we? And Park, Brother Park Sutton was awesome. I was so glad we were able to get him to come and preach for us. If you were not here last week for our revival services, I would highly encourage you to go online and, and catch those and listen to those. And Brother Park is an amazing preacher. He is. He's gifted from God. God definitely has his hand on Brother Park and has for many years, many, many years. In fact, I was called to preach under the preaching of Brother Park's, uh, of Brother Park's ministry there at Silver State Baptist Youth Camp. He preached there at camp. I surrender to preach. God is using him in a lot of ways. Brother Park, if you were here to listen to the messages that he preached, Brother Park probably said some things that really resonated with you, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. I understand what he's saying. And he was fun to listen to, and I'm sure he held your attention as he poured water on Alex, right, and all the things that he did. It was awesome, and I'm glad you like Brother Park, but what about his message, right? What about his message? I mean, it's obviously not a bad thing to, to like the man of God, but what matters most is that you accept the message of the man of God, right? And I'm sure if Brother Park was sitting right here, as he did during the revival, he would yell amen to what I'm about to say. But Brother Park really isn't interested in you accepting him. He's interested in you accepting the message that God has given him to preach. And, and I, I hope that you and I have a great relationship, and I hope that we get to interact, and, and I hope that, that as a pastor we can have a, a good relationship, and, and you, you can like me, and I can like you. I, I, I'm for that. I'm for that unity. I'm for all of that. And I want to I be interested in your life, and you're interested in my life, and, and I'm glad for all of that. But what matters even more than you and me being right is you accepting the message that God has given me to preach. Listen, it does you no good to enjoy the preaching if you don't believe it and if you don't act on it. Just showing up and hearing the preaching week by week by week and hearing the message and saying, oh yeah, that was a good message, preacher. I, I needed that. I'm glad you preached that. But, but I'm just telling you, showing up week after week after week and hearing the message and hearing the message and hearing the message, that is not enough for you to be made right with God. It doesn't actually do you any good unless you take the message and you believe the message, and you receive the message, and you make some changes in your life. All of those people who came to hear John, it did them no good if they didn't receive the message. And church is great, and, I, and, and, and the preaching of the Word of God is very important, but it really doesn't do a whole lot unless you accept it and apply it to your life, you see. Because <coughs> it's not about the man, it's about the message. And the reverse is true, by the way. There are a lot of nice people out there who are preaching the wrong message. And just because the preacher's funny, and just because the preacher's really nice, and just because he visits you and, and, and you know, talks to you and all of that, we need to learn to look past the man and consider the message, you see. Listen, when our society wants to push a message, you know what I'm talking about? When they force something down the society's throat in a sense, and we feel it sometimes. How do they do that? 
Well, here's what they do. They hire actors, don't they? And they pay these actors a lot of money. And they tell these actors, just say this message, and say this message, and say this message. Or they hire a basketball player, right? Or a football player who, who know nothing about what they're talking about. They're just reading a script, right? I mean, come on, sports is supposed to be a safe haven from all this stuff. But they're taking it and they're messing it up. <coughs> and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're taking these, these people who really should just be quiet and play basketball, right? And be quiet and play football. But people know that people like these basketball players. Uh, these people who have these messages know that people like these football players. And so they, they, they hire them and they tell them to say the message, to say the message. And our society knows that there's a lot of people who will listen to these actors. Society knows that there's a lot of people who will listen to these football players and these basketball players, even though this person has no idea what they're saying, no idea what they're talking about, even though there's no rational argument, there's no, hey, here's the message and here's the statistics why I'm giving you this message. None of that is there. All they, all they see is, man, that guy is cool and he's saying it. He must be right. This is how our society operates, isn't it? And most Americans, what do they do? Well, okay. You said it. You're really important. So, okay. And they just buy the message most of the time. We see it, don't we? And they maybe, maybe these Americans who hear this message from this actor or football player or whatever, they take that message and they might even start repeating the message and saying the message. You know, they said this and so I'm saying this because everyone's saying this. And they really have, any, have no idea what they're talking about. They have no reason to believe it other than this. That guy said it, and so I'm saying it. And they've never really listened. They've never really taken the time to truly think about the message. That's a danger, isn't it? That's a danger. And, I, and there's a lot of Christians who just hear the man of God. They don't know why he's saying what he's saying. Maybe they don't even open the scripture, they just say something, and because they like the preacher, they just repeat the message, and they say the message, but they really haven't considered the message, and they really haven't internalized the message, you see? But we, what we have to learn to do is to see past the man and consider the message. That's what Jesus told them. He said, listen, John the Baptist's message means nothing to you unless you understand it and apply it and actually act on it and repent. And there's a lot of Israel who thinks they're right with God because they heard John's preaching but never acted on it. They never considered it. They just enjoyed listening. And there's, that's dangerous because it's not about the man. It's about the message. And then Jesus goes on, and we'll quickly go through this, but um, he says this in verse number 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? And so now Jesus turns and he starts thinking about the society there. He starts talking about this generation. And what did he mean by that? What did he mean by this generation? Well, this isn't the only time that Jesus referred to this generation. He said in Luke 9:41, Jesus answering and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And he continues to talk. Uh, verse 11, verse 29 says, This is an evil generation, Jesus says. They seek a sign, and there shall be no sign given. Uh, verse uh, 32 of, 
of chapter 11, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation. And so, and over and over again, uh, Jesus talks about this generation, and here's what he means. He's talking about first century Israel who rejected to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, for thousands of years, the prophets have been, have been promising a Messiah would come, and now Jesus comes, God becomes a man, and they reject him, Jesus says. That's this generation. Those who hear the preaching of Christ and have rejected that he is the Messiah, that he is truly the Savior. When Jesus sees all of this, and he sees how that generation, that first century Judaism, has responded, and he makes an observation in verse 32, and he says this, They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, We have piped to you, and you have not danced. We have mourned to you. You have not wept. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the marketplace. The marketplace was the center square of the town. It's the place where everyone would come and sell their goods and buy goods and all of that. Well, whenever they aren't selling, on the off hours, that marketplace was there, and it was kind of empty, and the kids would all come to the marketplace, and they would all play with each other, and they would have fun, and they would play games and all of that. And um, here's the thing, when, whenever... We have the Valdez family living with us, and they've got three kids, and they're awesome, six, five, and four, and we've got our three kids, you know, Myla, Kara, and Nora, and they are constantly playing with each other, right? And they're always playing these games. And here's what you'll hear in the distance, if you listen close. They'll say something like this. Hey, uh, Myla, do you want to play family? Or, or hey, Judah, you want to go play doctor? Or, hey, whoever, do you want to play school? Or do you want to play this? And what are they doing? Here's what kids typically do when they play. They imitate the society, right? They imitate what mommy and daddy do. They want to play family because they're in a family. They want to play school because they hear that kids go to school. They want to play doctor. They want to play church, which is really funny. And uh, Carol will get up there and start preaching. And, and the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. And Myla's sitting there, which she never does. In, no, anyway. but, but yeah, they play church. And they, that's what they do when kids play, right? And so it was no different back then. And the kids are playing in the marketplace. And Jesus says, here's what I, how, how uh, I see this generation. There's these kids sitting in the marketplace. <coughs> and there's this group of kids that want to play wedding, right? Wedding was a big deal in that day. And the kids say, hey, let's play wedding. And at a, wed at a wedding, there'd be a lot of music and dancing and all of that. And so the kids would go and they'd make their little stick instruments and stuff. And they'll be pretending like they're playing. And then they have these kids over here. I don't want to play. Your, your game is no fun. I'm going to sit over here and twirl my thumbs. And, and they're over there, no, no, come on, come play. No, I don't want to play. You're not playing the way I want to play. I never hear this at our house with the kids. That never happens. I don't know. This is just maybe something that happened back then. Uh, but you're like, no, no, mm -mm. you're not playing the way I want to play, so no, I'm not playing with you. And so then they're like, okay, well, you're not in a good mood. How about we play funeral? Right? That was, <laughs> that was another big thing in that town. You remember we just talked about, remember the lady in Nain who, who, whose son passed and they had this whole thing and they would hire mourners to mourn. And so they're like, let's play funeral then. And you know, they make their little, you know, casket and carry it around and they've got the mourners and they pipe and they say, we mourned to you and you didn't weep. We're playing funeral. Nah, I don't want to play that either. I'm not, playing, I'm not playing funeral, I'm not playing wedding, I'm not doing nothing, because you're not doing what I want to do. And here's what they are. They're brats, right? 
And it was like, I want to make the rules. We're going to play the game I want to play. And until you play the game I want to play, I'm not getting over there. I don't care how much fun you're having. I don't care about any of that. I don't care how much work you put into this fun game. I'm not doing it. Why? Because I'm, I'm not the boss. And I want to be the boss, right? That's what Jesus said about that generation. And he said this. He said this. Look, I sent John the Baptist to you. And he was kind of like the funeral one, right? He was coming preaching judgment and fire and repent because it's coming. You need to repent now because if you don't, judgment is coming. And there were some that, that accepted that message, but some refused. And Jesus, and here's what Jesus said. When, whenever, whenever John came and he was, and he was preaching judgment and he was preaching repentance, you said he had a devil. Say, no, I'm not listening to you. You've got a problem. They liked John at first, but whenever they heard the message, no, no, thank you. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game. So then Jesus comes. And Jesus, they're not fasting. They're having a good time. They're, they're celebrating because the Messiah is here. And kind of like, that's kind of like the wedding part, right? They're happy. And so they've rejected John, who's preaching repentance and judgment. And now Jesus comes and says, hey, here I am. I'm the Savior. I'm here. Just join me. And, and you, can, you can enter the kingdom. And, and, and it's happy. And they say, you're a wine-bibber, and you're a gluttonous man. And they say, no. And they criticize John, and they criticize Jesus. Because here's the thing. Here's what Jesus was saying. It really didn't matter how I presented the message. It didn't matter, Jesus says, that I sent John. Because really, Jesus is the one who sent him, right? Jesus being God. It doesn't really matter that I sent John to preach harshly. It doesn't really matter that I have come meek and mild and, and with celebration. It doesn't matter how I presented the message because the problem is not the man. The problem is the message. And Jesus says that they refused to accept the message. And so they were throwing a fit and, and they would call, call names and reject both Jesus and John. Imagine that. Rejecting John the Baptist and rejecting Jesus. Because, listen, often when, the peop when people reject the message, they attack the man. Because when they don't like the message, they make it about the man. See? And they liked John at first, but whenever they heard the message, they didn't like John anymore. Right? And they made it about the man. When the Jesus came on the scene, and he was preaching in the synagogues, and everyone was listening to him, and everyone thought he was a great teacher, a great rabbi. They loved Jesus, but when they heard the message, oh no, he's a wine-bibber, he's a glutton. Because they hated the message. And because they rejected the message, they attacked the man. When people reject the truth of the message of the Word of God, they often attack the style of the preacher. And they say, I don't like, I don't like that preaching because he's too boring. Or I don't like that preaching because he's too funny. He says too many stories. You know, I don't like that. Or I don't like him because this and this and that and that. But really, in the end, oftentimes, oftentimes it's not really the man. It's oftentimes that they don't really want to accept the message. Because if you get excited about the message, it doesn't really matter which man is preaching it. Because you like you want to hear the message of the Word of God. If you're excited about the Bible and you know a man's going to come and preach the Word of God, it doesn't matter if he's if he's more boring and just is giving it to you, or it doesn't matter if he's telling lots of stories about his kids. As long as they're telling the message, you're excited, right? But whenever you reject the message, oftentimes you attack and criticize the man. It's just the way of humanity. Yeah. And listen, often 
Preachers fall for that. And they notice that people reject the truth, and here's what happens, they take it personally. Brother Park talked about that even. And because they've been rejected, they feel, they take it personally. And sometimes churches begin to think, we need to change how we're given the message. Because people are coming to our church, and they're leaving, and they're not coming back. Well, maybe the old hymns just don't work anymore. Maybe we need to get a rock band up here. Maybe we need to get fog machine and, and laser lights and, and, and all of that. Maybe the King James Bible is just too hard to understand, and so maybe we should switch that. Maybe these standards that we're preaching about and these convictions we have, maybe we're just being too harsh. Maybe we should lighten up on this whole thing with homosexuality and this whole thing with transgenderism. I mean, the society accepts it. Maybe we need to accept it so they'll accept us. We need to see what our culture likes. And, and a lot of preachers will lick their finger and put it to the wind, and whatever way the society is blowing, they'll go that way. Why? Because they don't want to face rejection. And they think it's because of their style. But really it's not. It's because of the message. You see. Actually, none of that's normally the problem. It's, it's not usually the way a message is presented. Usually it's the problem that they are rejecting the message itself. And if someone refuses to see themselves as a sinner that needs to repent, they normally attack the messenger. They don't usually attack the message. They normally pick apart the man giving the message. And that's easy to do because we mess up all the time, right? And we're just men. We, we, us who preach the Word of God, we, we have got problems. I've got all kinds of problems. And you could pick me apart pretty easily, I think. There's a lot. There's a lot that you could point out that way. But really, it's not about me, is it? It's about the message. And listen, they had John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself, and they found problems with them, but really it wasn't about them. It was about the message. Now, I will say we do need to be mindful about how we present the message. We do need to think about that. I mean, there's no need to be not tactful. We need to be tactful. There's no place to be harsh or rude. And it is possible, listen, it is possible to offend somebody by how we present the message. That is a possibility. But what Jesus is saying here is that no matter how pleasant, no matter how kind, no matter how much work you put into presenting the truth, there will still be many, many who are offended by it and who will not stick around. That's what Jesus said. I mean, you just think about it. Jesus himself, God Almighty becoming a man, preaching, and he had thousands following him. And in the end, how many did he have? 120. And if this is a numbers game, and, and being, facing rejection means you're doing wrong, then Jesus really didn't have it right at all. But he did, right? And it doesn't matter how, how well we present the message, there will be some who, who are going to reject it because uh, the truth does offend at times. And so what are you saying, Pastor? Well, the goal is, is this. The goal is not to never offend anybody. We cannot live that way. That's impossible. And if you make that your goal then as a church, we'll quickly compromise the truth, won't we? Because the truth does offend at times. And we'll try to appease the culture. But our goal should be to make sure, listen, here should be our goal. Our goal should be to present the truth. And when we present the truth, we make sure that, that they're not offended by how we, we presented the truth. But instead, if they are going to be offended, that they're just offended at the truth itself, you see. That's the goal. Yeah. But if we as a church try to appease the culture at all costs, it won't take long before God is no longer glorified and the truth is compromised. It won't take long before we start stop preaching parts of the Bible that offend our culture 
It won't take long before our music sounds more like a rock concert than a worship service. It won't take long before doing not, before we are doing nothing in this church but entertaining people and making them feel good and itching their ears, but never addressing their sin and never calling them to repentance, and that we'll have a lot of people in this building, but none of them will be truly believers. That's the danger that Jesus is, I believe, is warning against here. And we'll become nothing more than a social club that mentions a nice man named Jesus every once in a while, but mostly we're just trying to entertain. We can't get there, can we? We can't get there. Because it's not about the world accepting us. It's about the world hearing the truth of the Word of God and having a chance to repent. Having a chance to accept the gospel of Christ. Because our world still does need to repent, doesn't it? That didn't change after John the Baptist left the scene. That the, the first century Judaism needed to repent, and our society today still has a need to repent, a need to confess their sins before the Holy God. Our world needs to understand that one day Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's bringing judgment on this earth. And right now, he is presenting himself as a savior to our world. And right now, Jesus wants, it is God's will that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that none should perish. And it is our job to present that message to the world right now. That's our job. Our world needs that. So it's not about them accepting us necessarily. It's about them accepting the message of the gospel. And we need to be faithful to preach it, even if it brings attack. And by the way, we ought to expect attack at times. I mean, they attacked John the Baptist. They attacked Jesus. And those two men, they faithfully preached the gospel, and I think probably did it better than anybody else could have. You know, the Son of God himself. <clears throat> and they were attacked for it. And, we're, and we will at times be attacked for it. We can't take that personally. We can't get offended by that. Here's what we keep doing. We just keep preaching the gospel. Why? Because there are people in false city in the surrounding areas that if they were to die today, they would wake up in hell forever. It's the truth of the Word of God. And it's not fun to hear. We don't like to, to say it, I, I think. I hope there's no one who likes to preach about the judgment of God. But it is reality. And if we love these people, we need to give them a chance to escape the judgment of God. And there's only one way to do that. We need to confront them in their sin and help them see that they're a sinner, just like you are, just like I am. And help them to see that because of our sin, God himself became a man. And Jesus died on the cross. Why would Jesus die on the cross if, if there was no penalty to be paid? And why would there be a penalty to be paid if we're all okay before God? The truth is that humanity is at odds with God, but God himself came and paid the penalty because he wants man to be right with him. And we need to preach that message. We need to preach that message. <coughs> and if you're here this morning and you've never accepted that message, if you're here this morning and you've never heard anything like this before, and you're finding out maybe for the first time that you are a sinner before God, and you're finding out that you do deserve God's judgment, I want to tell you this. God loves you desperately. God knows who you are. And that's why he became a man. And he died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. And you can have your sins forgiven this morning if you accept the message of the gospel and repent and ask God for forgiveness. And you can enter the kingdom. And that's more important than any prophet out there to be a, message, to be a member of the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you, you know who we are. And even though you know who we are, you know our sinfulness, you know what we deserve. Thank you, God, for becoming a man named Jesus Christ and dying for our sin. And God, if there's one here today that has not accepted that message, who has not called out for forgiveness, I pray that you would work in their heart this morning. And for us that have accepted that message, Help us to be faithful, to preach that message, to tell others, and do it with kindness, do it with tact, but understanding that the truth needs to be preached and taught no matter how it's received, because we need to give this world a chance. Lord, we love you. Christ, in my prayer, amen. Let's all stand together.